What if I told you? What if I told you? What if I told you something no one knows? The human journey is unique. Each life begins as a child, full of wonder and discovery. For one in four girls and one in seven boys, life takes an unexpected turn. Child sexual abuse. For one in four girls, one in seven boys. What if I, what if told, I, told, you? What if I told you my secret? In most cases, there are no outward signs. No one knows unless it is disclosed. And that could take days, months, years. Some children never tell. They carry the secret with them. Some finally tell, and it is a weight lifted. What if I told you it happened to me? What if I told you no one believed me? Child sexual abuse happens, but it does not define. Children are resilient if we believe and protect them. Child sexual abuse happens in every community. One in four girls, one in seven boys. What if I told you you can help? Help start the conversation. Understand the guilt and shame. Help erase the stigma. Believe the child, embrace the adult. They are courageous. It is never too late to heal. People in your community know how to deliver care and healing for the one in four and the one in seven. What if I told you? Learn more. Go to whatifitoldyou.com. Pass it on. Whatifitoldyou.com. That's not associated with the show. It's not associated with me. It was something that I found online. It spoke to me. I decided this would be good to put out there. I know a lot of individuals are going to have questions, and, and we're hoping to answer a lot of the questions that have to do with uh, sex abuse. You've heard a lot from law enforcement, from Cam, from myself, other officers that we've brought on different situations. We're going to switch positions a little bit, and we have brought in some awesome guests. We've worked with them for a lot of years. They're not law enforcement, but they play a key role in sex abuse cases. It's not just the detective. It's not just patrol officers that you're going to see along the way when an incident of sex abuse occurs. There are a lot of people that play a key role in helping the victims and helping the families. And that's why we have Brooke and Celinda here. Hello. Hi, friends. Hi. We want you to understand exactly what their role is. And so, Celinda, we're going to start with you. You are a juvenile advocate. Right. And you started out where? So I started in this realm back in 2004. 
Um, I was an assistant with Child and Family Services, and I spent a few years there, and then I transitioned over to the juvenile court, where I was involved with juveniles who had committed crimes, but also with families who were petitioned for child abuse in court. And then in 2016, I came over to the Children's Advocacy Center as a victim advocate. And I know you're enjoying it. I love my job. And who are your favorite two detectives of all time? No, I take your time. This is awkward. <laughs> oh, it's so awkward. They're looking at me. Um, no pressure. No pressure. So, you know. But answer correctly. I was going to say, <laughs> I definitely miss the Cam and Matt duo. That was a good duo. It was a good duo. Who broke it up? Cam, Cam. made poor life choices. Yeah. Poor life choices. Went Man's got to break apart at some point. <laughs> you know, say, like, what are some of the best band breakups of all time? Cam slaughtered that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Hall of Fame. I still cry. Oh, I do too. That's what it is, right? <laughs> so what is, uh, what is your role there? So my role as a victim advocate is, well, what I tell parents is that my job is to help them through this process as little or as much as they want me to. So that really starts when they come in for the interview. Um, my role is to make them comfortable. So when listening ear, yeah, for, for sure. But also I think we don't want kids to come in and be scared. So we always answer the door with a smile and positive and cheerful. Um, we want the center to be someplace that feels like home. So that's kind of where we start is just with a positive attitude. Um, And then really we just explain to parents and kids that we can help them with whatever they need. So whether that's therapy, whether that's medical, whether that's protective orders or being somebody who just sits next to them during the court process, a lot of the times for parents... This is something that they've never, ever experienced. And so they honestly don't know even what to do tomorrow. And we're definitely going to get into that. We, One of the key points that I want to be able to talk about is nobody is ever prepared for sex abuse within a family. Well, and I think not only that, but everybody always thinks, oh, it could never happen. It could never happen. Not to me. I take care of my kids. My kids have all the best rules. I'm so attentive. Well, and no one ever talks about it. You know, if, if your kid um, becomes a victim of this, you don't go and tell your neighbors, like, hey, guess what I'm dealing with? You know, that's one thing it's a private, that yeah, people it keep private. in-house. And you only read about it on social media, and you'll be like, oh, man, glad I don't live in New York or wherever, you know, where that last big incident that hit news articles, yeah. you know, happened. Yeah. And we'll go deeper into that, but I, it, it really is a, a key point with what I want to talk about today because going back to what I said, you're, you're never, ever prepared. You may have it in your mind, what would I do if, in a lot of different 
situations. And that may even be the case with sex abuse. You may try to mentally prepare yourself and say, what would I do if one of my kids opened up about it? What would I do if it happened to me? I think that that is a key point that a lot of listeners would like to know. And we'll answer it the best we can. But I know you're a good listening ear. I've seen you in action. You keep me on my toes. And I appreciate that, Slenda. <laughs> Whatever I can do to make your job easier. Five years in the making, right? Mm-hmm. Over five years. Um, you came a little I, after. So I will be five years in September. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty close right after. I, I'm just a little over five years. And so Brooke and I have worked together a little bit longer, but you came in right after. Yeah. But So speaking of Brooke, you play a key role in being that listening ear and providing resources, whatever it may be. You mentioned a lot of them. Brooke actually is our interviewer. And specifically, it's a child forensic interviewer. So tell us how we, how, how did you get to that point? Where did you start? And what brought you over to the Child Advocacy Center? Um, well, I started as a Child Protective Service caseworker for the Division of Child and Family Services. And after that, I left and went and worked with families in the mental health field. I worked with juveniles that had received mental health diagnoses and helped them kind of navigate through that process. And then our area decided to to hire a designated child forensic interviewer for the Children's Advocacy Center. So I applied and... Here we are today. So one thing um, I struggle with doing is kind of breaking down really what it means. For you, uh, saying you're a child forensic interviewer, you know what you're talking about. We know what you're talking about. Um, But for our listeners who maybe don't have any experience with this or they maybe want to know kind of what it's going through, this is a lot of work. It's not easy. So kind of the way I look at it is if you have a fourth grader and they come home from school and you ask them how was school, they typically say, good. It's good. Yep, that's it. And it's like, okay, well, you were gone for nine hours. Did anything happen? Uh, Math. You know, it's like that. So now imagine taking that and now you have to try to get an entire disclosure about an event that happened that they don't want to talk about more than likely or, or maybe they, they decided to disclose it and they do want to get it off their chest, but it's not easy to put it into words. So imagine trying to do that without giving them what's called leading questions. Um, so if you can kind of break down a little bit of what a leading question is or what a forensic interview is, how does it, how does it work from start to finish? Like, just kind of take it away from there. Okay. Well, I want to give you a little bit of the background as to how forensic interviews came about. Um, and then we'll kind of go into what it is. Mm-hmm. So in the 80s, there were a bunch of allegations of child sexual abuse. And at that point, people started to get together and say, well, is it even possible for kids to disclose? Are they credible witnesses? Um, the things that they say, can we even believe them? So at that point, a lot of really smart people got together and did some research and kind of came up with what is the best way to talk to a child? What are the best kind of questions to ask? How do we get this information and know that it's going to stand up in court? So that is how a child forensic interview was kind of 
came to be and that's it's continually changing because they're continually doing research on what is the best way to do this and how do we get this information I mean just in what the five years that you and I have been working together Matt some of the ways that I have asked questions you know five years ago I asked them differently now yeah, different. because we know that not, not completely but there's tweaks sure. just like you said yeah sure it's just Updates. a better way it's like good better best like those were okay ways to ask questions but we have discovered that there's a better way to ask it and so really the forensic interview to answer your question is a developmentally appropriate way for that child to come in and in their own words tell us what happened so i'm just facilitating a conversation with them and asking them open-ended questions so that they can answer in their words so i don't ever want to provide them with any information that they didn't know prior to coming into that room um, I want it to be in their words. So if this case does go to court, I don't have an attorney saying, well, you told them this. Why did you do that? Uh, I can say, well, they said this, and I'm just helping clarify by asking another follow-up question, like, tell me more about that, or you said this happened. Tell me everything about that. So, And those interviews, are they're broken up, correct? Yeah, there's there several sections. sections of a forensic interview. Right, and, and I... I want to go back just for a second just so that all the listeners understand it's not that five years ago the interviews weren't working it's we're continually educating ourselves within the field and we're continually getting better I, I I think would be something I'd I'd feel safe saying I think we're getting better and that includes some of the ways that we are approaching the children with questions correct yeah, I mean, I think in any professional field, people are constantly trying to improve and do things better. And that's that's what I meant. So thank you for clarifying that. But I mean, even um, even in the medical field, I mean, they treated broken arms a long time ago, but now they treat them probably more efficiently. And I mean, not that how they did it was bad. It's just different and maybe a little bit better now. I mean, that's the hope, right? More effective or... Uh softer for the child, more welcoming for the child. There, there's a lot of different reasons. And, and we have recognized the changes along the way. I just want the listeners to understand if you were a part of a, a sex abuse investigation years ago, it's not that it wasn't working. It's just um, just like anything in life. We're just trying to make it better. Make it and, better, and yeah. We learn along the way. Well, and I think one of the things that we have an advantage with is having a dedicated forensic interviewer. The more you do your job, the better you get at it. And there are still, you know, places in the world that don't have dedicated forensic interviewers. And so they rely on law enforcement or child protective services or who knows who else to do mm-hmm. the interviews. Yep. And we do know that there is turnover in those careers. Right. So just when you think you have a great interviewer, they could move on. Or decide to leave, like a certain detective. Mm. I'm going to ask you the same question before we we move on. You're either SWAT or you're not. And I'm SWAT, so sorry. (laughs) That doesn't really help me at all. I used to be able to say that. Yeah. 
anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Who have been your favorite two detectives, Brooke? I Take think, your time. I think the answer is very clear. No pressure. You can't, you can't choose me twice. Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we know it's not you anymore because you decided to go to greener pastures and, and be a real cop again, right? In your own words? Yes. A real cop? Oh. Yes, yeah. write that down. That kind of hurts my heart a little oh. bit. Well, it hurts me too. Right? right. Continually. you guys were friends. And I got to deal with them a lot. So You got your banker hours. It's all good. That's right. Anyways. That's right. But hey, real quick, on the uh, one thing you had brought up was open-ended questions. Um, And for anyone who does not understand what open-ended questions are, those are kind of, a lot of times they give you like a yes-no answer if you ask a a not open-ended question or a direct question. That would be a direct question, yes. Um, So for, and, and one of the things I really like about how Brooke interviews is a lot of times you use, most of the time you use their own words. So if they say, um, I entered the house, you don't turn around and say, okay, um, so what happened once you went inside the house? You turn around and you say, all right, what happened next? Or earlier, if they don't kind of, if they're not tracking it, you go back and you say, earlier you had mentioned you had entered the house. Tell me more about that. Just kind of stuff like that is more of an open-ended question versus, um, did you see him when you went in the house? You know, that's more of a direct question. That's a yes, no answer. And then where do you go from there? Well, that's a leading question. Exactly. Because I'm implying that he was in there yep. when they saw or when they went in the house. So there's, I mean, there's different question types and really knowing the question types is going to help you as an interviewer because you're going to be aware of what you're asking. And, you know, those open-ended questions, kind of like you were talking about earlier, when you have your kids come home from school, you do get those one-word answers. And so, um, kind of as Matt said, there's different phases in the forensic interview. And um, the point of the first few phases is to get that child used to giving a narrative response and mm. letting them know this is not a normal conversation. This is not a one-word conversation. I'm, I'm really interested in what you have to say and part of you know saying back to them what they've told me is letting them know hey i heard what you said i'm listening to you Mm -hmm. i'm engaged in what you're telling me um this is what you said tell me more about that so for example uh cam Mm -hmm. i'm gonna pick on you first okay um all right what color is your car black what color are your car seats? Uh, black. Does your car have a CD player? Yes. Does your car have power windows? Yes. Is your car a truck? Uh, no. Does your car have air conditioning? Yes. Okay. All right. So... Yes. Enough of those questions. I answered them right. Yes, I passed the test. Cam, what did you do at school today? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you're, I'm picking on you now. I want you Uh-oh. to think about your car, and I want you to tell me everything about your car. It's gray. It's a dark gray. The interior has lighter leather. The vehicle is way too expensive. I'm not the one that picked it out. My wife was. It does have a radio. It actually has Sirius radio. 
It doesn't joke around. It has seven seats. It's fast. I don't know how I know that. Um, it has turn signals, a steering wheel, a rear view mirror. It has wheels. Okay, I feel like we're good. Um, you get the point. I get the point. But the point that I'm trying to make is when I was asking Cam those direct questions, I was the one having to do all the work and coming up with the questions. Um, I'm not a car person, so it's really hard for me to know specifically what to ask ask him. Whereas when I just asked you that open-ended question to tell me everything about your car, you provided a lot of details that I would have never thought to ask about. Same with me. Like if you had a I'm steering wheel. I'm glad that I, you, I had, you had a that steering wheel. That was good. I'm glad you Listen. bought a car with a steering wheel. So <laughs> in that, it's good to point that out because in an abuse situation, there may be things that, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, so I wouldn't know that those things had happened, and so I wouldn't be able to directly ask that. So that's a great example of direct versus open-ended questions and why open-ended questions are better in a child forensic interview. And that's what we see with a lot of these interviews. And I, before we close here, I just want to add those are the special moments within the interview because you're asking these kids to tell something, uh, tell you something about what had happened to them. And every once in a while there's aha moments and they provide you something that you're able to continue to guide them through their narrative. And, and, and that's what I love about the forensic style. That's, that's how these kids who struggle to articulate, um, and again, Cam's example at the very beginning where kids come home and they just say, it was good. It was good. The one-word answers. It's the one-word <laughs> answer, and that's what kids do. It's the one-word answers, and, and that's what the forensic style of an interview is trying to avoid. We want them to tell a story about what actually happened to them, and that's what I love about it. We're going to bring Brooke and Selinda back, and we are going to continue to talk about sex abuse and continue to clear this corner. Peace by Dallas, make it hurt.